0: Now, a little while back, like, a few years ago, I was part of this, like, big group, and there was two guys in this group, and they were having this conversation. Uh, They were two Christian guys, and the conversation was about what is the nature of God? Like, what is God like? Who is God? Uh, And this one guy was saying um, that he doesn't think it's right to uh, describe God as altruistic, He thought it's inaccurate to say God is altruistic. It's inaccurate to say that God uh, is predominantly motivated by selfless love. Because what this guy was saying was, uh, it's something else that motivates God. He was saying God is motivated by God's honour, by God's glory. And so that's the main motivation that God has at the core of God's being. Uh, So he gave the example of saying, if there's like a group of people and the suffering or the destruction of that group of people would bring honour to God's name or would bring God glory, then God's really happy to bring that about somehow, to bring about the destruction or to bring about the suffering of that group of people. Um, Because that's what motivates God, God's honour, God's glory, according to this guy. Uh, now, I wasn't part of this conversation, I kind of was just listening to it from the side, but I still... it really distressed me. Like I got really distressed listening to this, particularly because I knew the guy who was making this, making this argument, uh, he was training to become a pastor, and I got really, like, anxious just thinking of someone being up front at a church giving this message. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very vivid memory that I still have, uh, even though it's, it was many, many years ago. The other thing is, I think it's really important for us to think about who we think God is. I think who God is actually has a huge impact on who we are. If, if you're a person of faith, if you believe in God, um, I think who you think God is depends, uh, affects how you treat people. It affects how you see the world. It affects how you live your life. And so I think thinking about these things, who is it that we think God is, is really important. Um, one example I can think of, and I really don't like this example. I, I think it's a really awful example, but I, I think it's important to remember these things, is with the uh, the AIDS crisis in the 1980s and the 1990s. Um, The predominant Christian response during the AIDS crisis was this terrible disease ravaging these communities, particularly the gay community, this is God's judgement. This is God meaning out God's punishment on people who who they said weren't living according to God's will. That was the predominant response from churches, that was the predominant response from Christian voices. And that's one of the things that I, I I don't even know how to describe how I feel about that. Because to me that's just, the fact that that's part of our history, just, it it hurts me deeply. I, I think it's an awful, dark part of our history, that that was our response. I know there were some beautiful, lovely Christian people who went out of their way to serve and to to care for and to look after people with aids. They were beautiful souls, but a lot of them were working against the wishes of their Christian leaders, and that to me is just absolutely horrendous. So I think it's important. What we believe about God affects what we do, it affects how we live our lives, it affects how we treat people. If you think God is indifferent to the suffering of people, I don't think it's hard, it's it's difficult to guess that you're probably going to be indifferent to the suffering of people. I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. So I think it's important that we think about who it is that we think God is. Uh, Now this Sunday, today, marks the beginning of Holy Week which is a, a part of the Christian year where we reflect on and we focus particularly on Jesus in the last days of his ministry. We particularly focus on Jesus as he's on the way to the cross. Um, so Jesus was, uh, during his time of ministry, Jesus was travelling around the countryside of Judea and Galilee. Uh, he was going from village to village and town to town. He was proclaiming this message of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is one based on love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. Because God is a God who's characterised by love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And this was the message that Jesus was proclaiming. Now, a lot of the religious leaders of the time didn't take too kindly to this. this is not, they didn't agree with Jesus' message. They didn't think it was a fair thing to say. And they really opposed Jesus because of that message. Uh, Another reason they opposed it as well was because Jesus would say things like, Caesar's kingdom and and other kingdoms of this world based on violence and subjugation and force, those kingdoms are not going to last. Caesar's kingdom will not last. Only God's kingdom will last. And the religious leaders were freaking out because they were really scared that Jesus' followers were going to start a rebellion against the Roman authorities, against the Roman occupiers, and that in response to that, Rome was going to come and just wipe Israel and wipe the Jewish people off the face of the world. And so they were really terrified. And so they opposed Jesus, and they were thinking something has to be done about this guy. So Jesus is doing that. In his ministry and then during Holy Week we think about uh, the time that comes when Jesus turns his attention to Jerusalem and so he goes towards Jerusalem he enters the city he goes into the city that's the the seat of power for the Roman authorities in that area Uh, he goes to the city that's the seat of power for the religious leaders he enters Jerusalem like a lamb entering a den of wolves and he continues proclaiming his message the religious leaders uh, try to trick him. The religious leaders try to um, beat him by posing him all these really difficult questions. And every time Jesus flips the tables and he he humiliates them, he humiliates the religious leaders. He makes them look like fools. And they decide enough is enough. They've got to get rid of him. So. Everyone here, I'm pretty sure, knows what happens. The religious leaders, they join forces with the Roman authorities, and they have Jesus arrested, and they, they send him on his way to crucifixion. So I just thought we'd read a, a section from the Gospel of Mark describing this. This is from Mark 15, starting from verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the courtyard at the palace known as the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole company of soldiers. They dressed him up in purple robes and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. They saluted him, hey, king of the Jews. Again and again, they struck his head with a stick. They spat on him and knelt before him to honor him. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus's father, was coming in from the countryside. They forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the formal charge against him was written, the king of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. People walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, huh, so you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him among themselves, together with the legal experts. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After hearing him, some standing there said, look, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink saying, let's see if Elijah would would come and take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw how he died, he said, this man was certainly God's son. Some women were watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of of James, the younger one, and Joseph and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, these women had followed and supported him, along with many other women who had come to Jerusalem with him. Now I think this is a pretty harrowing account of the fate of a man who went all throughout these regions, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Um, This was a man with a message who proclaimed God is our Father, or God is our loving parent. God thinks of us in the same way that we, for those of us who have kids, in the same way that we look at our kids, that's how God looks at us. And he was sent to a cross for this message. But the thing about the story as well is that's, it's not just that. For those of us here who all ourselves Christians, for us in the Christian tradition, Jesus, for us, has always been proclaimed as the, the, the image of the invisible God. Jesus has always been proclaimed by people in the Christian tradition as the one who shows us God. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. And so for us, this story, uh, it, it just... It's so much, there's so much depth there, there's so much meaning here. One of the things that I really love about the Christian tradition is when the church traditionally was trying to answer the question, who is God, we told a story. So when the church was trying to answer the question, who is God, we told a story of, of, of Jesus who would touch the untouchables, we told a story of Jesus who would touch people with leprosy and heal them and, and heal people who have been blind. We tell a story of Jesus who would spend time in the company of women and do something that was completely remarkable for that time. He would treat them as his equal. When we try to answer the question, who is God? We tell the story of Jesus who would eat and laugh with people who you weren't supposed to eat and laugh with. People who were seen as sinners and people who were seen as traitors to their people and women who were looked down on because they were prostitutes. When the church has tried to answer the question, who is God, we tell the story of Jesus who, because of his message of love, went to the cross and died on a cross. And I think that's something that's really beautiful about the Christian tradition. Um, I have a little cross uh, at home that I keep on my desk. Someone gave it to me uh, a few years ago as a gift. Now, it's, it's a cross that also includes, uh, attached to it, the body of Jesus. It depicts the body of Jesus. And I know a lot of people really don't like that. There are a lot of people for a whole variety of reasons that don't like crosses that depict the body of Jesus as well, and that's totally fine. But for me, the reason that I really love this little cross is every time I look at it, it reminds me that this is who God is. Every time I look at it, I'm reminded that if you look at Jesus on the cross, you see God at God's most God-like. If you look at Jesus on a cross, you see God being God the most that it's possible for God to be. And that is extraordinary. I I, I think for us, uh, for those of us of the Christian faith, I just think it's the most beautiful thing that we have an image. The image of God we have is Jesus on a cross, Jesus dying there, because it's this beautiful picture of God giving God's self to us. God giving. Emptying God's self for our sake. God Sacrificing God's self for our sake because God loves this world so much. That to me is the most beautiful thing I could even imagine. Now I know there are things you could say to that. I know that, um, like last week, we looked at understandings of the cross that make it seem that Maybe God isn't always motivated by selfless love. I know that there are passages in the Bible that make it difficult to sometimes really grapple with a God being motivated by selfless love. I know there are things happening in this world that make it easy for us to question these things. I I get that, and I know that. I I know it's complex. Um, I think for some of those things, I have responses, but I don't know if they're good responses. I don't know. I... There's so little that I know. When it comes to God, I I just, I don't know. It's complex. It's above me. I don't get it. But the thing that I keep on being drawn back to, the thing that I'm confident about, is if you want to know who God is, we see God in Jesus on the cross. And that is something that, that's a God I want to bow down before. That's a God I want to give my everything to. That's a God I want to sacrifice everything for. That's a God I want to build my life around and, and, and build my life on. Because it's the most beautiful thing that I can even imagine. And so, my, my hope for us, uh, my, my dream for us, my prayer for us here, uh, as, a, as a community here at FAIR or as a group of individuals, is that we would be deeply touched by the selfless, self sacrificial love that we see. In God Um, I don't think it's the way my friend said I don't think when I look at Jesus I don't see a God who's motivated by God's own honor or God's own glorification I, I see a God who says to hell with my honor to hell with my glorification a God who would rather give up those things to save God's children that's who I see so it's my hope and it's my prayer for us to be deeply affected by that vision of God, that, that image we see of the selfless nature of God. I hope that that affects how we go out and engage with the world. I hope that that affects how we treat people and how we see people. That's the, the prayer that I have for us. May it be so.